everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Trust you're having a good week. Anybody? <laughs> well, like I say, if you're not, this is a good place to be. Uh, good to have you here tonight. We are finishing out 2 Thessalonians tonight. We are in chapter 3. We want to look at verses 13 through 18, dealing with the disobedient. Last week, we dealt with the disorderly. Tonight, the disobedient. You know what the difference between them is? Neither do I. <laughs> They're pretty much the same group here that we're talking about. Overlap tonight in terms of the emphasis. So let's go ahead and uh, look to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started here. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name, that uh, glorious name that we've been singing about, uh, and the one that's above all. And so, Lord, uh, again, what a privilege to be here. We just thank you for each one. Pray that you would bless the ongoing ministries of the evening, uh, WANA, youth group, uh, all that's happening uh, here. We, we ask your blessing on every ministry, all those who are, are ministering and those who are being ministered to. May the Holy Spirit have his way in all of our hearts. Uh, we commit our study to you, too, as well. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, you note uh, I've got two things underlined here as far as... Uh, up on the here, we are in verses uh, 13 through 18, but really commands regarding the disorderly, uh, the disobedient, and then the benediction here at the end. Uh, there is uh, much encouraging about the church at Thessalonica. I mean, that he's uh, very first few verses there. He's uh, strongly encouraging them in terms of their their faith. Uh, that demonstrates itself in love, their faith that demonstrates itself in, in endurance or patience. And so there was a lot going on at Thessalonica that was very encouraging. And yet there's some correction. He's correcting them in terms of the, the day of the Lord, that we're not in the day of the Lord, as some of the false teachers on the scene were trying to convince them, saying, oh, no, there's some things that have to be in place before we're in the day of the Lord, and we're not, we're not there. We're not going there, in fact. And so uh, there's correction in that regard. And he's uh, saying, uh, don't be upset. Don't be, don't be troubled about this. And then he's uh, correcting them as far as how to deal with the disorderly, who are lazy, who are busybodies, meddlesome. Um, you know, they're just vegging, waiting for the rapture, just vegging. Got free food over here? Uh, I'll be over. <laughs> so uh, he's, he's saying, no, if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's the principle he lays down. You want to work? Shouldn't eat then either. And so we talked about that last time. So, so don't be shook up. That's his uh, correction as far as thinking we're in the day of the Lord. We're not. Uh, and uh, don't be irresponsible in terms of uh, you know, just being lazy or, or meddlesome. Uh, okay, let's pick it up. We're kind of picking it up midstream here. He's got a few more things to say in terms of uh, correction in this regard. Who wants to read verse 13 for us? Just verse 13 to start. Yeah, Anita. Okay. So in verse 12, uh, you back up to verse 12 there. He says, Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness, eat their own bread. So he has something to say to these people who are being lazy and, and busybodies. And uh, he, he commands them uh, to not be such. But now here in verse 13, he's addressing the brethren generally. And, uh, the, you know, deadbeat, lazy Christians can have really a kind of a negative effect on the entire body. To where, you know, 
the body general might become kind of indifferent to the real needs and say, you know, all these people are asking for something or needing something, forget it. You know, we've got these leeches over here, and it turns them off from, from doing what needs to be done as far as necessary good works. And so he is saying uh, a caution, a word of caution here. Don't overreact. Yeah, we got these, some on the scene here who don't want to work. They just want to come to the pot faith dinners. <laughs> but uh, don't let that uh, cause you to overreact. Uh, don't become uh, insensitive to uh, genuine needs is really what he's saying. So he says, but as for you, brethren, uh, do not grow uh, weary in, in doing good. Uh, maybe some of these people are, are they're, they're burning you a little bit, taking advantage of the situation here, but uh, don't, don't uh, cause that uh, you know, pendulum to swing way over here to where now we're not helping legitimate needs here. So uh, be balanced here is really what he's saying. There's really kind of a word play here. As I say here, uh, there's a word play in the Greek that could be translated in this way. While, while doing good, do not go bad. Uh, those who abuse brotherly love must be held accountable, but at the same time, we must not grow weary in helping others with legitimate needs. And there's always going to be legitimate needs in the body, and so we want to be sensitive to that. And so he's kind of cautioning them, okay, there's those kind of taking advantage, but don't, over, don't overreact. <clears throat> so we need uh, discernment. We need balance. Uh, we need tough and, and tender love. So we need, we need, that, we need that balance. And he uh, consistently puts this out. Paul in Galatians chapter 6 <clears throat> says, Do, uh, let us not grow weary while, while doing good. Uh, I think growing weary is when you just want just to, hey, I, I just need a break from it. You know, <laughs> I'm tired of this. Uh, and he says, don't do that. Uh, well, do, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Well, if you lose heart and, and, you, and you give it up, uh, well, don't expect a reward. Therefore, he says, as we have opportunity, and you can't do everything, but as you have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So uh, we, we kind of need a little encouragement to keep on keeping on doing good uh, for those in the body. Uh, sometimes we get tired, just want to you know, get weary, say, hey, somebody else's turn. I'm just checking out here. Watch, watch the attitude is what he's saying there. So uh, he's got a thoughtful balance that he's emphasizing here. On the one hand, if any would not work, neither should he eat. We need tough love there. On the other hand, there are legitimate needs. We need to be tender in our heart and, and uh, not be weary in, in doing good in, in that case where there's a legitimate need. All right, any other thoughts before we go on to uh, verses 14 through 15? Okay, let's have somebody read verses uh, 14 through 15. Who wants to read that? Yep, Mac? Well, this is some interesting verses here uh, in terms of uh, dealing with uh, uh, disobedient brethren. I mean, this is, this is a, a brother, a sister. Uh, they're out of line. And uh, here's what he says, how to, how to handle this. There's always a few that seem to uh, want to kind of push the envelope, right? Uh, they're not wanting to be in line. And uh, they're not complying. Uh, they're what we might call disobedient children. You know what you do with disobedient children? You spank them. <laughs> As Proverbs say, don't spare the rod. You know, you, you, and, and it's, it needs to be done in love. 
but even for their good and for the, for the good of the entire body. So in the context here, we're talking about the disorderly, the idle, the meddlesome. Uh, that's who he's been talking about. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle. The tone here is one of apostolic authority. And as an apostle, he did speak with authority for the Lord. Observe uh, the tone of apostolic authority inherent in this statement. It is clear that Paul spoke with authority as God's spokesman. This is what the apostles did. They were Christ's personally chosen authoritative representatives. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that, uh, which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So, I mean, that's trumping everything, right? Uh, you know, my mentor, John Whitcomb, really had a problem with red-letter Bibles, right? Because some people say, well, you know, the words in red, those are the ones we really got to put an emphasis on. Those are the words of Christ. And he would say, you know what? It's all inspired. They're all in red. Uh, they're all the word of the Lord. It's not like, well, the words that we have of Jesus here. No, these others are, are also the words. They're through the apostles, but they too are inspired. It's all, it's all the word of the Lord here. And uh, so he speaks with authority here as an apostle. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, uh, he says, note that person. Uh, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. So uh, note, the word note is the idea of to mark. Uh, mark that person. This is a marked person. And they're marked as being disobedient to the apostles' commandments. Uh, exactly how this is to be carried out, he doesn't say. Is this a, a congregational thing? Is this uh, individually, as, as the brethren, they are to all individually? He doesn't really give a process as to how this is to be carried out. But he does address the brethren and say, uh, note that person. Uh, there, is, there is family accountability here. So the emphasis here is on the personal responsibility of each person in the body to respond in this way to those whom they discern are not obeying the apostolic mandate. If someone is being lazy and meddlesome, then pull back from that person. They are not to be enablers who just continue to go along with this sinful behavior. Each person in the body is, to, is responsible to hold them accountable in this way. Uh, well, that's pretty high level of accountability to say, well, boy, this is kind of, uh, I'm expecting you as the brethren uh, to respond this way if any does not obey our, our epistle. Yeah. I guess that's true. I mean, uh, you know, really, I, I think we should make it clear why. You know, that, that we're not just being <laughs> nasty here, uh, but, you know, hey, there's a problem here. You're, you're out of line, and this, this behavior needs to change. There needs to be repentance here. So I'm assuming this assumes that there's some communication as far as, hey, this is inappropriate. You can't continue, and the person is just continuing on that way. So, I mean, that's the way it is with, with children, right? I mean, if the child continues to be disobedient, we continue on with the disciplinary track. But if they straighten up, well, you know, we'll let up on the discipline. So, uh, yeah. Um, note that person. Do not keep company with them. Very clear what we're to do here. N no fellowship. Uh, there's, a, there's a fellowship accountability. There's a family accountability. And if you're going to live this way, which I think is not like a, a gray area where it's like, boy, I'm not sure if that, what, what's going on there. This is clear. This is a clear defiance of apostolic uh, authority of what the apostle is 
commanding here. So I don't think we're talking questionable uh, activity. This is clearly over the line, clearly um, defiant. Uh, And he says to do this, that he may be ashamed. The goal is to shame them in this case, uh, that they may be ashamed uh, with the goal of bringing about repentance, uh, a change of behavior that they'll realize, boy, this is inappropriate. Uh, The whole body realizes it. I I can't do this anymore. I'm being called out on this. Uh, this is what we might call tough love, right? Tough love. I mean, this, this is not easy. In fact, I, I can see a lot of maybe uh, even well-meaning Christians saying, that's very unloving. I, I just can't do that, you know? Uh, you know. So tough love sometimes is considered unloving. Uh, I mean, think about this. Note that person, do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Um, certainly there's a spirit of... of correcting here. It's not uh, punitive, but uh, corrective. And uh, let's see here. There is the path of apostolic truth. As long as people remain on that path, we can walk together in close fellowship. However, if one gets off that path, we can no longer walk in fellowship with them. We must pull back and show our disapproval. Uh, this is the most loving thing to do for the sake of those in error as well as for those in the body. It's a serious matter for New Testament believers not to abide by apostolic revelation. Apostolic revelation speaks with absolute authority for God. So that, that becomes a really serious matter where somebody says, well, I know the Bible says that, but I, I'm going to live contrary. Uh, whatever it is, I mean, that's, uh, okay, nope. We are a family, a holy family, who takes the Bible seriously and we want to, uh, and we're going to insist on, uh, you know, that as a fellowship test there. Okay. Um, any other thoughts there? Yes, Rob. Yeah, we would put this in that category of church discipline, and there are the steps of church discipline in Matthew 18. Again, he doesn't really give a process here. You know, he's saying, mark them. Uh, does this assume kind of that process in Matthew 18? Well, we can get into all that. But again, he doesn't really give us a, a step-by-step here. Just says, here's what needs to happen. Uh, like I say, I think, you know, if you're really dealing with a, a whole church situation, you normally would have a formal disciplinary process where, uh, I think you bring elders into this. You are spiritual restore such a one. You know, there's a, there's, there's a process here, uh, normally. Um, you don't just have a, you know, well, I'm, I'm disciplining this person. You're disciplining that one. We're all <laughs> probably collectively here. There's a problem over here. The whole body realizes it, and we need to deal with it. So, but it's interesting. He doesn't really tell us here. Yeah. Well, I think part of what he doesn't tell us is he teaches what you need. True. Yeah, it is unique, but if we're going to have, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, I, I'm not going to name anybody here, but let's say we got a, a brother in the body who's really being disobedient in some way. Uh, well, if that becomes a serious situation that's infecting the entire body, we're probably going to have to deal with it as a body. I agree with that. I'm yeah.
Yeah, it all depends on the nature of what we're talking about. I, I do think, as the commentators bring out, we're probably not talking the level of Matthew 18 here. Uh, that's maybe why he's dealing with it a little different way. Um, because, I mean, that gets to be a really serious situation there uh, in church discipline, formal church discipline. I don't know. It's, it's just interesting. He doesn't really say. I do think it's serious because he mentioned it in the, he said when he was there in person. And then he followed up in his first letter. And now he's addressing it very strongly in the second letter as a command. Yeah, Kurt? Well, I kind of think of it as, you know, the first time you show grace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I think you're right. I think there's uh, some some wise balance there. Yeah. 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 That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. And even even when it's uh, when it gets to the last step, the idea is still restoration. Always. Yeah. And so I tend to think that, that those steps are already taking place to approach the person to one on one and then two and then get to the point say, you know, this cannot continue to go on. Mm-hmm. Therefore we're going to address the fabrication. Yeah. Yeah, he is addressing all the, all the brethren here. And, and he does say to all the brethren, if, if a person's like mark them, I, I do think you have elder um, you know, shepherding involved in that process. I think this is where elders do come into play in a big way as far as uh, you know, leadership in the body, dealing with disciplinary situations. I do think you do give grace, like Kurt was saying. I mean, we don't just say, hey, you know, one little infraction over here, we're on you. <laughs> You're marked. <laughs> you know, we, we want to be very gracious, you know. But it's sometimes you do, there are situations, and it's never, I don't like church discipline. We've, you have to do it. I mean, but it's never, it's never fun, uh, for sure. The worst part of the ministry, as far as I'm concerned. But, but anyway... Uh, okay, anybody else? Don't want to leave anyone out. Okay, uh, verse 15. Uh, he says, Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Uh, so again, there's a little bit of balance in here. Don't overreact. Don't overreact. Um, yes, uh, irresponsible, disobedient, irksome. Uh, but don't uh, foster a, a, a spirit of hostility. Like, uh, this is an enemy. Uh, this, this, is, this is not an enemy. Uh, do, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as, as a brother. Uh, you know, you don't want to pull Psalm 139.22 out here, right? Where, where David says, I hate him with perfect hatred. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to flip that verse over and say, you know, here's, here's a hostile enemy. No, no, he's not. Uh, don't count him as an enemy. 
we want to be we want to have a balanced perspective here uh, it is perhaps easy to fall into a mentality of a little holier than thou we're all vulnerable uh, you know we all have the flesh here and uh, you know with that paul says here in galatians 6 1 uh, brethren if a man is overtaken in any trespass uh, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So there's, there's a real balance in that verse there, you know, in terms of even how you're approaching somebody who, who is uh, off track here. Yeah. Uh huh. Sure. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. And even in the warning, it seems to me like uh, you're admonishing him as a brother. You're, you're going as a brother and saying, "Hey, I, I love you. I'm concerned about you, but th- but you can't you can't continue this. I can't go along with this." Uh, and I've had situations where, you know, I've had to go to a brother and say, "Hey, I can't skate along with this. I can't go along with this. I'm going to pull back if you're going to go that direction." And boy, it's tough. That's really hard. One of the hardest things in the world if you really love somebody. But uh, yeah, the idea of, of admonish is to warn them. It literally means to put in mind, uh, to, to put it in their mind as far as what the seriousness of the situation is and to warn them. And uh, he says to do it, uh, to warn, admonish him as, as a brother. We don't uh, hold outsiders accountable, Right? I often say I never disciplined the neighbor's kids. That's why I'm still here. I haven't started my prison ministry, right? <laughs> but I did discipline my own kids. And this is a family. This is a family matter. Uh, we are a holy family. And being in the family does come with uh, accountability. You say, well, hey, it's my life. I can do whatever I want to. And uh, I, I got a pastor, Fred, that he's you know, kind of a, had a challenging church. And, uh, you know, somebody living in flagrant sin, and, and he's confronting them, and, and they're saying, well, it's none of your business. And he's saying, well, you know what? It actually kind of is. <laughs> you know, it's actually, the, you're, you're living in, in sin here, and uh, you're even in a leadership position. This is not right. Uh, we can't tolerate that. Um, a couple of slides here. As seen in 2 Thessalonians 3.15, this does not seem to reach a level of full excommunication as seen in Matthew 18. Uh, nor does it seem to be as severe as, as 1 Corinthians 5. Still, there is a high level of body life accountability in view here. Uh, the body is to show their disapproval and not have close fellowship with such a person. Uh, this is essentially a reiteration of the command in verse 6 to withdraw from every disorderly brother. So it is a, a serious uh, uh, warning for sure. Uh, accountability and discipline in the New Testament are always found in the context of the local church where there is recognized spiritual leadership and accountability. Often in parachurch context, they, they say, we are not a local church, so we don't have to follow the rules of the church. Uh, however, strictly speaking, God ordained the church to carry out his program, and this is the church age. To get away from that paradigm is to get away from what the New Testament teaches. So, uh, you know, parachurch uh, organizations never do discipline, almost never. I mean, it's amazing what, what happens in terms of, well, we're outside the scriptures here, uh, you know, as far as, as far as women teaching men, for example. Well, that doesn't apply to us. We're, we're parachurch. Uh, we, we don't have to have the same standards as what the church does because this is written to the church. Well, 
Maybe we ought to back up and say, uh, what has God ordained in terms of how the mission is to be carried out here? Uh, what place does parachurch really have? Uh, how are you defending this from the New Testament? I'm not wanting to throw out all parachurch, but there are some special challenges uh, that relate uh, to that. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, yes? Well, parachurch, para means alongside of. And so it's ministry, like, like a campus ministry, for example. Or a, a, uh, a missions ministry, uh, which is out, has no accountability whatsoever as far as a local church. It's just out here doing ministry. It's para. And uh, so um, if it enhances the local church, I, you know, I want to be gracious here, you know, because I think there are some parachurch ministries that really do help. They are really kind of a tool that the local church can use. But I think if it's not doing that, it probably needs to question, why are we here? Because really God ordained the church. That's what the New Testament is all about. A.W. Tozer made a major issue of this in his ministry, saying, you know, every ministry should really have a tie to the local church. And if it doesn't, it really doesn't have biblical reason for existing. So, yeah, good question, though. Um, no, talking about this, uh, it's interesting. You know, it's... Uh, um, when, when you have a situation where uh, you are uh, dealing with a brother or a sister where you really are not keeping company, uh, you're not counting them as an enemy, they're a brother or a sister, but you're seriously uh, not having company with them, you're not, you're not having fellowship with them in that sense. Um, you know, it's rare for churches to, discip- to have discipline, period. Uh, I mean... It's, it's just rare to start with. And then, um, you know, when it does happen, so often the charge is that's an unloving church, right? I mean, this is, this is not right. I mean, this shunning or whatever they want to call it. it it's, uh, it's, so there's a real tendency to want to cry foul. And then they get others who are saying, yep, this isn't right. This is unloving. I'm being mistreated. This is hateful, whatever. And the problem is sometimes it is. Sometimes there's discipline that is really uh, not proper too. So you got all of that in the mix. And then, you know, as, as um, you know, one who's been in the pastoral ministry for a long time, it's interesting, how often is this successful? Uh, you know, you know what happens, right? Invariably, they leave. And they, and they go to another church. And the other church doesn't care. Come on in. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> you know? So it becomes, uh, it becomes interesting uh, as far as really uh, carrying through on something like this. Uh, I definitely think there is a time. I mean, and you have situations where, hey, something has to be done here. That's for sure. When somebody's really out of line uh, with the scriptures, uh, you can't just let, it's like a cancer. You let it go. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse and worse. And it's going to kill the whole body if you don't deal with it. But uh, it, is, it is very difficult. Um, anyway, I could tell you stories here, but I won't. But anyway. I have seen it. I've seen people die, too. Uh, so, you know, you have all kinds of situations. But we had a situation years ago. I was first in the, pretty early in my ministry. And we had a, it was a terribly hard situation, the church disciplinary situation. Years later, this person moved away, all kinds of havoc. Life's a, a disaster. But they did come to repentance. 
They called me on the phone. They said, first thing, I'm repentant. And I said, you're forgiven. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's not like I'm, because they're thinking, well, I'm going to hold, I'm not holding anything. It's never about me anyway. You know, it's about you and, and the body here. Uh, so, um, so it does happen. And uh, I would say at, at this point, this person, you know, is not on the scene here as far as the fellowship here, but has visited the church since that time. And uh, there's, a, there's a great spirit now in that person's life. Praise the Lord, they've gotten right. And, and they said what misery it was, you know, to be in that situation. So, uh, yeah, um, we had a situation when I first came to the church. You know, we had, <laughs> it was so funny. The older gentleman who was the pastor, he was just part-time before I came. I was the first full-time pastor, just green as green can be, coming out of Bible college. He said, as, as I'm coming in, he says, there is a situation in the church you're going to have to deal with. <laughs> well, thank you, sir, for saving it for me. I so appreciate that. You're the very older gentleman here, uh, being willing to pass it on to me, a young buck who doesn't know what he's doing. That was a, anyway, <laughs> give me something to do. It was terrible because we had a number of families that were just getting plugged in. They were starting to come Sunday night. And it was, a, it was one of the, the, you know, a family member. And so that whole crew left. You're starting with 25 people to start with. That's really hard. Really hard. Uh, you know, but I really felt uh, this was a challenge to my ministry and the future of the church even. Are we going to, this was such a clear-cut case. Are we going to take a stand here? Are we going to just let this slide in the name of, you know, hey, uh, this is going to do too much damage. So anyway, God honored that. It was, it was tough, but we got through it. But it is tough. Uh, you know, I think these are really, when you really think practical reality here, um, where you don't keep company with somebody, they're marked, and uh, you withdraw yourself, uh, that is really difficult. Uh, that's one of the hardest things in the ministry to, to me. And yet I do think, uh, you know, if somebody comes forward tonight and says, you know, hey, brother so-and-so is over here in adultery. We are going to have to deal with it. We're not going to say, well, you know, they've been in church a long time. All these relationships, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's me. Uh, you know, it's got to be dealt with. Uh, and we have to be consistent with what we do as well. But, but I've often said, least favorite part of the ministry, as far as I've concerned. I, I, I really, I, I hate to have to deal with it, but you do. You've got to deal with it. Yes, it is. Yes, Kurt. Mm-hmm. Like verse 14 where it says, Why do you thus say against your shame? Yep. Right. They go on to make their own justification. Right. And that's where that separation ends up occurring. That even the church, whatever, is fighting comes in and says, I, I didn't do anything wrong. That's their issue. Absolutely. So, so. Right. Very true. And we, and we want to be gracious in the whole process, humble, you know. 
really reaching out in love for their good, the good of the body, uh, you know, really have the best motives, <laughs> good in, in our motives there. Yes? Oh, sure. I think there's a sin unto death. I, I really think a, a, a person who refuses to repent is really flirting with a sin unto death. Okay. Well, you get to that. I mean, you know, Lord disciplines all of his children to build holiness into their life. And I think, seriously, if you can have really serious sin in your life and you go on without serious discipline, you got to wonder, you know, is this person really a believer? Where is the hand of the Lord, as I would expect it to be in there? So, you know, the people I've known where we've had church discipline, the, the wheels did come off the wagon as they went along. It was not an easy thing. I would expect to be like David. I mean, when David's living in sin, it's miserable. You know, he's in the drought time. So if you can just carry on uh, as normal and there's no repercussions, you got to wonder, you know, what's going on here? Where, where is the father? And he is a responsible father in disciplining all of his children, it says in Hebrews 12. So, but he's a very patient God too. And, uh, you know... <laughs> I think all we can do is be responsible as far as our part, and we got to leave that with the Lord. Yeah. Well, that's true. Well, that's true too. Yeah. From the outward appearance, uh, yeah. Mm hmm. Right. Right. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And love covers a multitude of sins. Right. I mean, when somebody's uh, repentant, I mean, we we want to be very gracious. I mean, who's without sin? I and mean, we all stumble in many ways. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Grace is huge here, for sure. Uh, I don't know if I answered your question, Andrew, but I think you can get, you're, you're kind of mulling over some things here. Yeah, yeah, it gets complicated, you know. I think all we can do is say, hey, like I, like I say, I don't think we're talking a questionable area. This is clearly flagrant, clearly you know, it's not like, well, maybe, I don't know if there was really sin there or not. No, this is clear sin. And then you, you deal with that. And uh, once you've dealt with it, it's kind of in their court, you know. Um, I, I can't do anything more about that situation. So God knows. So you have to kind of leave it with the Lord. Yeah. And, and once that person has separated themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've always felt really church discipline is a matter of grace. 
Because I really think once God directly intervenes, it can get really messy. I really think we're talking the sin unto death at that point. Uh, or, or serious, you know, consequences. Uh, Corinth wasn't willing to deal with the, the sin in their midst. He said, many of you are sick and many of you have died. Uh, God was dealing with it directly. The church wasn't. So I really think church discipline is, is a measure of grace. And if the church won't deal with it and the person won't deal with it, I mean, there is divine intervention. I don't know. That could be really messy, if you ask me. All right. Well, a lot of questions. We, we don't have all answers here. Uh, sometimes you just got to leave it with the Lord. Huh? Statement. Yes. Right. And so many people still try to liken the church to a business, but doing things like this totally mm-hmm. goes against the spirit. Oh, yeah. So this is another example of how it's all no, we are not like that. That's right. That's right. And a family model. Yeah, family model here. Absolutely. Yes, Greg. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, in fact, I think, and we're not, we don't want to go there unless we have to. So I think we're going to be very patient. Uh, We're going to give them, we're going to work with this. Uh, We're going to, there's going to be a lot of grace extended. But if there's just defiance and, and continual rebellion, it comes to this. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think we get here in a hurry. No. Uh, We all need grace. Uh, it's because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. <laughs> Great is His faithfulness. I mean, we're all in process here. So uh, I am a big believer in, in grace here. Uh, I think we're really talking about some serious defiance. Like I say, He addressed this in His first. He said He addressed it in person when He was there. He addressed it in the first letter. Now He's, he's gotten very much stronger in the second letter, to where He's really now laying down uh, some stringent uh, demands here as far as these people who are disorderly and disobedient. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's a great point, Greg. Amen. We, we want to be patient and gracious, but you can't just let that go on forever if it's clear defiance. Uh, anyone else? Yes. Yep. Yeah. The goal is always restoration, always. And, uh, and then even very humbly, as Paul talks about in Galatians 6.1, uh, you yourselves, let him think if he stand, take heed lest he fall. I mean, we're all human here. We're all vulnerable. So uh, it's not like we're coming like the holier than thou's are here. <laughs> Yep. Amen. Very good. Amen. Okay. Uh, Let's have somebody finish us out here. Uh, Let's read verses uh, 16 through 18. The benediction. Yeah. Jeff?
Okay. I love this verse 16. Uh, now may uh, the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Uh, that, that is a wonderful verse. Um, I've got a few slides here. Let me show you the first one here. Normally, uh, Paul speaks in terms of the God of peace. And we see it repeatedly. But here he says the Lord of peace himself, which undoubtedly is a specific reference to Jesus. Almost always in Paul's epistles, the use of Lord is a reference to Jesus Christ. So it's, it's interesting here that he kind of changes up from talking about the God of peace to the, the Lord uh, of peace. And uh, this is Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6 prophetically gives Christ the title Prince of Peace. In John 14, 27, Christ said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. In Ephesians 2.14, it says of Christ, He Himself is our peace. So, uh, praise the Lord for who He is as, as a God of peace. And uh, real peace is really found in Him. Uh, you know, the Greek word is erinae, uh, corresponding to the Hebrew word shalom, one of my favorite words, shalom. And, uh, you know, as we think about this, it's so wonderful to be right with God, to have peace with God. And uh, we talk about peace... Uh, with God and the peace of God. Our position in Christ as believers, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our position. And then in our experience, we can also have the, the peace of God, uh, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So uh, this is our position. That never changes, uh, peace with God, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But in our experience, we can have the peace of God. And he's kind of praying comprehensively for these believers. They all have peace with God, but he's praying that they will know the peace of God in their ongoing experience. It's really kind of a prayer uh, desire. Uh, in all their persecution, chapter 1, they, they would have God's peace. Uh, in their you know, being shaken in their minds over the day of the Lord, he wants them to have peace. In daily body life struggles, uh, he wants them to have peace. Love this verse uh, here in the Old Testament. Uh, the priests were said to bless the people in this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In essence, 2 Thessalonians 3.16 is the New Testament equivalent of this Old Testament blessing when it says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always, in every way. I mean, pretty comprehensive statement there. Pretty comparable to what we have back in the Old Testament in Numbers. And then he says, uh, the Lord be with you all. Desiring that the, the Lord's peace and the Lord's presence uh, be with, with each of them uh, in an experiential way. And then he says, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, uh, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. Now, evidently, there had been people forging letters, as we saw back in chapter 2, verse 2. And uh, so he is signing off in a way that would be um, indicative of his uh, handwriting. Recall that there had evidently been a forged letter put forth. as uh, from Paul that he disturbed the Thessalonians concerning the day of the Lord. We saw in 2.2. Two. Uh, that is the context here. Paul evidently used an amuensis, uh, a secretary who wrote down what he had dictated. And then at the conclusion of the letter, he wrote, uh, took pen in hand and wrote the final lines to validate that indeed this letter was from him. Uh, evidently, Paul had some eye problem. Uh, you know, he hints at this in Galatians 6, 
indicates that he wrote with large, bold letters that were unique to him. Perhaps he had bad eyesight. It's maybe hinted at in Galatians 4. Whatever the case, Paul's standard practice was to conclude his letters in his own unique handwriting, which was an indication of its authenticity. And that seems to be what he's emphasizing here. Uh, the salutation of Paul with my own hand. You know, like he dictated the letter. Probably somebody else wrote it down at his instruction. But now he takes pen in hand and signs off uh, with his own writing. And then he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is a hallmark of Paul's greetings, grace greeting. Uh, in fact, Paul kind of coined uh, uh, this greeting, the, the grace greeting. And as uh, Christians, it's all about grace. We're saved by grace. We walk by grace. Uh, you know, grace is an interesting... Uh, grace means God's favor, his unmerited favor. And... Uh, but it relates to our practice here. He's talking to believers. Yes, we're saved by grace, but then we need to walk by grace. And he says here to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? It's like God's strengthening grace is available, but you need to uh, avail yourself of it. In uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may take mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's a throne of grace. Uh, grace is where you, you get that, that favor that you need, that strength that you need. Come, come to the throne of grace. And then here in uh, John, chapter 1, verse 16, I'm quoting from the ESV because it's more literal than the King James at this point. For from his fullness we, talking about believers, have all received grace piled upon grace. That's literally the idea here. Grace upon grace. Uh, this is where we are. Grace upon grace. Uh, our whole life is, is full of grace. I, uh, some time ago, received a letter from a lady who used to go to our church, and she uh, was dealing with her mother-in-law, and uh, she, the mother-in-law went to a mainline church. And of course, all mainliners want to say they're Christians too, you know. And so they were always kind of wondering where she was at. So one night, uh, they were over at her house, or maybe it was their house, or somewhere, and they were having conversation, and the mother-in-law said, grace isn't a free gift, uh, it takes a lot of work. And she said it became very clear where she was at at that point. Uh, grace is not about, it's, it's the antithesis of works. And uh, we need grace. Uh, as far as, you know, our salvation is all about grace. Our walk is all about grace. We need God's grace uh, moment by moment. One day, uh, C.S. Lewis was at a, at a conference, a large conference with all kinds of religious leaders, and, and uh, they were having a discussion in a, in a side room about what makes Christianity unique. And uh, C.S. Lewis walked into the room and he said, what's the, what's the ruckus all about in here? And they said, well, we're, we're, we're debating what's unique about Christianity. And C.S. Lewis said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And that's true. Uh, Christianity, of all the religions of the world, what makes us unique is the gospel of grace. Our salvation is by grace. Our walk's by grace. Uh, it's all of grace. And so it's appropriate that he signs off. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All right. Any other final thoughts here as we wrap up Second uh, Thessalonians? Yes, Kurt. Yes. Yep. 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 Yep.
right? Amen. Well, amen. Well, amen. That is so true. And I think there's great wisdom there. If, if you've dealt with it properly, sometimes there's nothing more to do. And, and you are right. We like to fix things. I am a fixer. I like to, hey, we're going to do something about this. We're gonna, but there's sometimes you just can't. I mean, it's like, I don't know what else there is to do here, you know. Um, if you've handled it properly, you, get, you leave it with the Lord and, and it, enjoy his peace, you know. Yeah, that's right. All right, anyone else? Okay, let's share some prayer items. Uh, prayer sheets, anyone?